Hi, everyone. This episode is brought to you in collaboration with Invest Ottawa. I teamed up with their team to produce a special series in celebration of leading women and their journeys. Invest Ottawa supports business owners and entrepreneurs through services and programs and recently opened applications for SheBoot, a six-week boot camp to ensure that your business is investment ready. If you're interested, you can visit investottawa.ca forward slash SheBoot to learn more. One of the biggest investments you can make is really focusing on what it is that motivates you. What is it that makes you want to do this? So understanding, you know, what is behind all of that really is critical from the beginning because many people have said this to me before. People who are very seasoned entrepreneurs have had not many businesses. You need to understand that it's going to be very difficult. There will be days where you will lose money, you will lose people, you will be frustrated with the way people are treating you. So what is it exactly that really is motivating you to do this? And can you actually pull through that? You are listening to the Power of Why podcast. I'm your host, Naomi Haile, and on the show today, I sat down with Julia Slanina, who is the founder and CEO of Treehouse Medical. We talked about the importance of maternal health in Canada, raising children with great care, and how important it is to have a support system that is designed for for you to do well. Julia also shared some personal events that took place in her life that really shaped her mindset and what led her to start Treehouse Medical. Julia is strongly rooted in her why, and I am so glad that we have this conversation on the record. Enjoy the episode. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Power of Why. My name is Naomi Haile, and today I'm here with Julia Slanina. Julia, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm honored to be speaking with you today and to learn more about the work that you're doing, the important work that you're doing to support mothers. For some context for the audience, Julia Salanina is the founder and CEO of Treehouse Medical, which is a platform for maternal to fetal and and the early childcare community. Julia says that she designed Treehouse Medical with the intent to promote positive parenting, to streamline health information and build a stronger degree of engagement in the Canadian medical network. Treehouse Medical works with clinics, sole practitioners, agencies, and healthcare networks. And the design of it is very intentional, as I mentioned. It's really to help maternal healthcare providers stay connected to mothers and to support them on their journey. And fun fact, in 2020, Julia took part in a 10-week program launched by Invest Ottawa and the Ottawa Hospital that was aimed at giving digital health startups advice and mentorship to bringing their products to market. And Julia is also a graduate of the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs. She worked in, in the Foreign Service for a little bit. She's made career moves, tough decisions, important decisions. And today we're going to talk a lot about maternal health. We're also going to be talking about the importance of being adaptable. So thank you, Julia, for being here and being so open to share your story with us. Well, it is my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, for giving me this opportunity to have a platform where I can share uh, 
about maternal health in Canada, the importance of maternal care, and you know, especially since uh, we've been impacted so significantly by COVID-19 and supporting mothers and the providers that care for those mothers and families is just so critical before COVID, during COVID, and, and after COVID. So thank you very much. I agree. So Julia, would you mind sharing a little bit about your origin story and how you grew up? Oh, how I grew up. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up, I, I, I'm actually an immigrant, I guess you could say. I immigrated to Canada when I was uh, just about two years old. And so I grew up in that very traditional um, family, Eastern European family. We came to Canada to, to build a better future and to really focus on, on the opportunity that my parents really focused on, on building for, for myself. Uh, I'm an only child. So so I grew up with uh, a mindset where education and working hard was really ingrained in me uh, and never really giving up and just focusing on, on your goals and focusing on how you can become a better person uh, to help your family, to help your community and to, to advance whatever your passion is. I was taught from a very, very young age to always have a love of learning, even if I didn't want to learn, <laughs> even if I didn't want to study all the time. Yeah. Um, I was always ingrained to just to really focus on, like I said, learning. That's a little bit about about kind of how I grew up. But I'm happy to to you know answer any questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so relate to this, Julia. <laughs> Growing up, where like school is so important, make sure that you're you know an A student and all yeah. of these things. And so, can you tell us a little bit about your journey going through school and mm. then starting in the foreign service and what some of those career moves are? Because obviously, you're not in the foreign service anymore. No, so. I'm not in the foreign service anymore. And I had, you know, and this is, I'm very happy to talk about that because I was, like I said before, I was always taught to just have a very clear focus of what mm. you want to do and how you're going to execute on it. And that is important. And I think that's very critical for many young people to have a clear vision as to what they're passionate about. But one aspect that I learned very very quickly throughout kind of even my schooling before I got to post-secondary was to learn how to be adaptable and to learn how to be fluid because that fluidity allows you to to just mold yourself to different situations. So um, I my background kind of from an educational perspective is international affairs. As you mentioned in my introduction, I am a graduate of the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs and I served as a Foreign Service Officer at Global Affairs Canada for a number of years before I decided to make a career change and get into medical school. And so family has a very health background. I grew up in a very medical world. And so it was almost like I did it out of spite, I guess out of spite, if you will. I just, I didn't want to do what I was told to do. And so right. that's why I chose an alternate career. But, you know, your parents at the end of the day are always right, I find. And I ended up going back to what I really was passionate and what I was exposed to uh, my entire life. And that was medicine and healthcare and helping the community. And so um, I started medical school with a one-year-old. Can you believe that? And um, I, I had a true passion for pediatric care, for helping children, for helping mothers and children. Um, ever since I became a mother, I just, uh, this world just opened up to me like no other. And I just, I really felt like 
having good care from the beginning and supporting the mother, supporting the child really builds a strong and resilient leader, a a child Mm -hmm. who has opportunity and that opportunity can lead to so many benefits to that person, but also to the community and to the economy. And so I'm, I'm a huge, huge advocate for supporting children, their education and their health and their, um, and their nutrition, because it's just so, so critical for the future of our community. And so after my first year of, of medis- medical school, I was pretty gung-ho about really focusing on, on that type of care. And unfortunately, life halted for me because mm. that's when I realized that you can't think that everything is always going to be perfect. and It's going to work really well for you. After my first year of medical school, my mother was diagnosed with very advanced stage ovarian cancer. And mm. I, I was, you know, becoming her caregiver. And I had to stop my medical degree. I had to change my entire path, basically. And I needed to uh, be with my family. And I needed to be there for my mother. And I needed to be there for my son, because he was two years old. That was a huge wake up call, because you can plan everything. And you can think that you have everything in your hand, you you know, I'm a very a type person. So whenever I, I get anything, I want to be the best in it. And so Mm -hmm. For someone to tell me that I can't finish my medical degree was, you know, a a huge blow to my ego. And I thought, well, how can I be the best person that I need to be? Because I still need to be there for my son. I still need to be there, of course, for my mother. I'm her main advocate throughout palliative care, which is a a very, very um, taxing type of care for the patient, but also for the person who cares for that person. I thought, well, um, now I have to really focus on, on, on that. And I need to think about how I can adapt and how I can be fluid. During that time, I still wanted to you know, stimulate my mind and to be intellectual and to still have an escape. And my escape was actually designing Treehouse Medical. I didn't know it was called Treehouse Medical. I didn't have a name for it. It was just something that I thought about doing because I noticed when I became a stay-at-home mother that a lot of women and families just didn't have the resources accessible to them. Uh, And if they did, they were fragmented. They were kind of piecing together um, solutions from various collaborative platforms, various public health initiatives. And so they were kind of piecing all of this together and not really getting the best care possible. So they were really falling through the cracks when it came to the care of themselves postpartum or prenatal um, and really the care of their child. And so I thought, well, how about I use my medical knowledge ability to uh, understand kind of what I learned over that first year of med, uh, med school to design a technology that would support these providers that support women throughout their care journey because not everyone leans on a doctor, not everyone leans on a family physician or an obst- uh, like an obst team, uh, OBGYN or a pediatrician. At, they may at some point, but the reality is, is that there are so many providers that support you throughout your care journey. And so how do we bring those people together? How do we bring this, these amazing experts that we have in Canada together? And how do we give them technology to not only help each other, but also to help the patients that they serve? Wow, there's so much here, Julia. First of all, I'm sorry that you went through that whole period of grief and and trauma and also having so many people at the same time rely on you, right? Mm -hmm. And this, this concept of having a support network is really powerful. And for you to say, 
how can I support other mothers while you also needed that is is really interesting. I'm curious to know when you talked about resources being mm-hmm. fragmented, mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit, first of all, what does maternal health refer to? Is it just during the pregnancy period? Is it after childbirth? And then also, what are some examples of resourcing that that mothers need during that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so maternal health it is very much the care of uh, mothers, expectant mothers, and their new babies. So basically from conception to those early years. If you really want to be technical, it's very much from conception to the first year of life, really, or even mm-hmm. in the first six weeks postpartum. But the reality is, is that that maternal period is, is when we're really leaning on providers uh, to help us in the first early child years, specifically the care of the mother, uh, the expectant mother, even after she delivers, and the care of the child. And so that is really what maternal care encapsulates. There are many providers, providers like doulas, lactation consultants, prenatal educators, postpartum Mm -hmm. educators, mental health support, nutritionists, and then we have our doctors or clinicians associated to that. And so that is a holistic care model there uh, that embodies many, many types of providers. And women and families specifically will lean on these providers throughout various periods, right? So you maybe need more care postpartum, you might need more prenatally. But the reality is, is that that care is a fairly long term care, because if a woman has at least one or two children in her lifetime, she will lean back on these providers to help and support her. This extends further, even when we look at family planning, when that woman goes back to work. And so those providers are there to support the family, support uh, the growth of the mother as well, in order for her to come back into kind of being the woman that she really is, right? So you asked about the resources specifically. What we see um, in the mo- at the moment in, in Canada, I'll just speak to Canada for the sake of this discussion. A lot of these providers are fragmented amongst uh, regions in Canada. We also see that a lot of these providers are not able to really provide the care that they want because not that many people under uh, will have access to that. And so educating and empowering the expectant mothers and the, 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 the new parents is really quite critical. And so being able to tell them that there are lactation consultants or there are doulas or there are various different providers out there um, to help them throughout their journey is really critical. Most people just know, oh, well, there's a doctor and there's a OBGYN and then there's a midwife. And very seldom do you hear that people are building a tiger team, if you will, or they're (laughs) building this community um, around them, but it exists. And so, you know, I find that a lot of, these providers um, are lacking that inter-provider communication. Mm-hmm. There's also, uh, you know, Canada is a big country. And so um, we see that in some pockets of Canada, um, there are more, there are less. And the reality is, is that babies are born everywhere, no matter what coast you're on. But there needs to be more support for those providers to provide the care that, that those parents and those women need specifically. Hey there. Thanks for tuning into this episode. If you are enjoying the conversation, make sure to share it with a friend. Take a screenshot, spread the word. It really allows me to bring on more incredible guests as we continue to level up in the podcasting space. Mm -hmm. 
And you you mentioned, and I'd looked before our conversation at the stats that are available around like infant mortality, for example. So can we move into a little bit more about this? Like how does Canada, if you want to talk about North America as a whole, rank when it comes to childhood morbidity and really supporting mothers through that as well? Yeah, you bring a really good point up and I'm, I'm happy um, you bring it up because unfortunately, North America is doing a very poor job when it comes to supporting mothers and babies. And people might think, well, you know, why should I care maybe? But this actually really greatly affects the mothers and the babies as we look, as I mentioned it, even at the beginning of this discussion, because providing good care from the beginning allows you to set up a child for success, to build, to build up a child for, to be a resilient leader in the future, to have opportunities, and to also really impact the community and impact the economy at the end of the day. Allowing them to have exceptional care is just so critical to, to just building a successful, a successful unit as a whole. But unfortunately, North America does a fairly poor job um, with infant mortality. Specifically, Canada is ranked 30th out of 36 OECD countries when it comes to infant mortality. The United States, I don't even want to say the number because it's absolutely deplorable. You know, 700 women die each year in childbirth in the United States from pregnancy-related complications. And out of that, three out of the five of those deaths are preventable. And so that is, is the highest in the developed country scheme. When we look at other countries in Europe, in Asia, we see that, you know, women, when, when they give birth, they're given supports. They're right. given in France specifically. We know that every time a woman gives birth, she is given a pelvic physiotherapist to help her with her um, regaining her pelvic uh, floor muscles and regaining the so health. Recovery. So recovery. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And so that doesn't happen in Canada. Um, I can, I can tell you that majority of women don't even know that a pelvic physiotherapist is available for postpartum support. And so that is something that needs to change. Childhood morbidity is impacted by the way that by the way that we handle care at the beginning, because if, if we're not there to support the child from the beginning or to support the mother in the healing process, those children having um, other sorts of kind of complications and diseases later in life are more prevalent. And that's taxing on our health system and that's taxing on the health network as a whole. And those complications can lead to other adult complications that again, right. impact healthcare costs later in life. And so it's all tied together, no matter how you kind of push it around, it links from the beginning. You know, you, we always talk about the root cause. Well, the root cause is from when you begin life. And so that's why it's so critical to start early. And there's so many intersections to this conversation too, that definitely show up in, in health and it shows up in other areas as well. And so you can as you've mentioned, like socioeconomically too, like different groups are impacted depending on, you know, who they are and where they're located. And this is just super, this conversation is making me really sad, but also happy in other ways that there are people like you, Julia, who are doing this work. And I'd, I'd, I'm curious to know also around the education piece here, how important is that in terms of, you know, your business model and the way that you are building Treehouse Medical mm -hmm. in terms of not only educating, I don't know if you are educating the public, but educating the, the whole network and then 
maybe even mothers for them to know what is available to them and what services are available? Yeah, I mean, I would say that also there's a lot of, like you mentioned, there's a lot of individuals, a lot of maternal providers, a lot of advocates that really support, you know, maternal health and maternal fetal uh, innovation. And so having champions like that uh, is really critical to advancing and making changes especially right now since so many women have been impacted because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So what we're doing at Treehouse Medical specifically is that, yes, we want to educate the public in terms of highlighting the importance of what maternal fetal care is. Uh, we want to showcase that. But I think just being able to provide the resources and the technologies to those providers to be able to provide better care is mm. one step to really advancing that better care for that patient, right? Because if those providers have a toolkit and they have a digital technology that they can use um, and that helps not only them support themselves as providers, but then supports their patients and their client base. That's really, really critical. Yes, we advocate and we educate the general public about uh, all the providers that are available. But the reality is, is that we have to be there to support the providers with a type of technology that impacts the entire industry as a whole. And that's really what we're doing and focusing on. Yeah, you are right. There are advocacy groups out there. Um, well, this week in the U.S., it's Black Maternal Health Week, which we talked a little bit yeah. about um, before hitting record. And so I think it does play definitely a part in in this work, but also just being focused on what it is that you're providing too. And so you're enabling these people who are already out there doing it with mm -hmm. a technology that makes it simpler. I'm curious to know when the pandemic started on this mm -hmm. side of the world, did that at all evolve the way that you structured Treehouse Medical? Because it actually is really conducive to the way that we're operating right now. So I'm wondering mm -hmm. if it had, like, did you remove any features? Did you add certain things? Like, what did that whole uh, process look like for you? Yeah, actually, we did quite a quite a significant uh, pivot, if you will, business model pivot. And that's when we realized that we should very much focus on these providers specifically. Before we had a bit more of a wider range and we said, oh, we'll focus on clinicians, we'll focus on pediatricians, we'll focus on, on, on family medicine, primary care physicians as well. And then I thought, well, you know what, where, where is there a real need right now? Well, babies are born. And the reality is, is that these providers are, are going to places like Zoom. They're going to different types of platforms that maybe are not as secure as they should be when it comes to a personal health information perspective, right? So security in, in, in personal health information is really, really critical. You need to ensure that you are compliant from a health standard and having a tool that allows them to be compliant and to engage in, in proper kind of a and patient and practitioner relationship is really, really critical. And mm -hmm. so we pivoted to focus more on those allied health uh, providers, like I mentioned before, the lactation consultants, the doulas, the midwives, et cetera, in order to help and support their practice. Um, because if we can support their practice and support their client base or their patient base, that's very critical to supporting women who, in reality, a lot of them are giving birth at home. We know statistically, the CBC put out an article I think it was in late 2020, that stated that uh, midwife-led births at home or midwife-led home births increased from 15% annually to 50% annually. And so that is a, a large uh, step up 
And that's mainly because a lot of women that in non-complex situations, and, and let me be very clear about that, that in non-complex situations, if it is directed by your by your provider that you are able to have a home birth, more women try to do that. And they did do that, in fact, because of the, the fear that they had of going into hospital and to, to give birth and the fact that maybe they couldn't even have their support person there, right? Because many women, as we know, over the last year have given birth by themselves, uh, right. without their partner, without their support person next to them, because of the, the restrictions in hospitals. And so being able to, to provide that kind of uh, shift is what we did in terms of our technology. We shifted to maternal providers that needed a technology in order to support the changes that they also needed to make from going from an in-person kind of clinic setting to having a host of other virtual consults that they probably did not imagine 18 months beforehand. Wow. That stat that you just shared, was that over a two-year period, a three-year period? I'd have to pull up the CBC article, but the CBC published uh, an article at the end of the year, yeah, last year or so in December. Um, And they said that in in just that short time between, I think it was March and December, we went from 15% to 50%. Um, But again, just to be clear, it's midwife-led home births in Mm non-complex situations, right? So that's Mm -hmm. very clear. And it's very important to mention because you can't have every birth at home, uh, especially if, you know, there there is uh, a complex situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, understood. Julia, can you help me understand? So you're currently in beta testing. You're testing with users of, you know, your product. Can you talk a little bit about what at least at this point, what the user experience is like. From what I've read online, you this product also includes like online resources, secure messaging, support groups. So can you take us through what it's like actually using it and um, how it makes it easier for, for um, folks who are in this space? Yeah, absolutely. So yes, you are correct to mention that we are at the moment in a beta testing suite. So we welcome any maternal providers that are interested in testing a solution that potentially they can integrate within their clinic operations. And so if you are a doula, a lactation consultant, a midwife, uh, and you are frustrated with the current software that you are using, I would I would uh, invite you to reach out to us through treehousemedical.ca. It's a very easy onboarding process to, to start using our software to give us valuable feedback. What we have kind of gathered from our current testing suite and, you know, as we kind of uh, ramp up our launch date uh, this quarter in in the next several weeks, um, specifically late May, early June, is that we've seen that a lot of providers are very happy with the ease of use. It's very intuitive. We've worked very closely with maternal providers to understand what are their challenges right now in terms of the software software, um, that they're using or the current tools that they are using, what's missing. what are their pains and what are their needs to support their practice and so and kind of minimizing the amount of clicks that they need to to have if, if you are a provider that uses an electronic medical record you very much are familiar with this kind of clickitis, clicking everywhere to see your <laughs> your patient's chart. And so that's really frustrating for a lot of providers. And so we kind of moved away from that to make it as, as easy to use for their clinic operations. So it allows them to be able to have a place where they can upload their resources and those resources can be shared among their, their client base or their patient population in such a way that is just easy for their patient to, to, di- to digest that information, right? Um, we see that 
educating your patient is really, really critical. And so doing that in a very easy way is very important. If a woman is smoking during pregnancy or has, um, has um, interest to learn why she needs to take a B12 vitamin, um, providing her a resource where she can understand the importance of you know, what that vitamin is or, or, or quitting a habit is really, really important for that person to actually be compliant and to make sure that they understand that knowledge. And so we make it very easy for those providers to be able to upload those resources. We make it simple for those providers to communicate with their patients, to engage on one-on-one video chats in a secure way. And we also allow them to really be there in a two-way communication. And that's something that's really, really special because oftentimes software solutions that do exist on the market for providers are a one-way kind of road. And that one way is specifically for the needs of the providers. Ours is is unique because it allows for that two-way communication. It allows you to stay connected to your care team and your care team can feel like they're part of every single step of your journey. That's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that, Julia. Um, I'll leave links to where you can connect with the work that Julia is doing, Treehouse Medical, in the show notes. I'm curious for the last 15, 20 minutes or so, I'd love to talk about your experience because obviously you're a mother as well and um, you have a young child and we are basically going into, I'm using quotation marks, another lockdown, I guess. And so how are you taking care of yourself throughout this process and what have, I don't know, boundaries look like for you? How has yeah. care look like from your perspective as you're running a business as well? Mm-hmm. Such an important question and a really, really uh, um, timely one, of course. A lot of us mothers and families, um, even if you're not a mother, right? It, it's just you're at home a lot. And even if you're alone at home, it, it can get really exhausting working from home on a screen where you don't typically see anymore your, your colleagues that you were always with. Uh, or your friends, or your family members, right? And so it's really, really challenging. I've always been, and I've said this many times to my community, I guess, um, is I'm a huge believer in journaling. Ever since my mother got very ill, I started to journal as a way to really ground myself at the end of the day. And I don't sit there for an hour. Let me be very clear. I do not, I'm exhausted. I'm, uh, I'm a human being and I just, I want to journal what I can. And if I can write a, a line or two lines, or, you know, sometimes I write more, um, it really helps me with being able to put things into perspective because sometimes I go back uh, and what I wrote a week before and I realized, you know, that wasn't that big of a deal. So, you know, it, it really puts into perspective what is important to you, what is not important to you, what frustrates you, what makes you angry, what uh, irritates you, and maybe what you should do better or maybe what you're doing good at. So mm-hmm. I'm a huge believer in, in taking that time for yourself. Like I said, you don't need to, to do it for an hour. You don't need to do it for 15 minutes. You can even just do it for five, six minutes. I like to do it at the end of the day. Some people like to do it when they wake up. So that's been a huge task, if you will. I don't know. It's not a task. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, what do I call that? I don't know. A self-care um, practice. Yeah. It's a practice. It's a practice that I've been doing now for several years and it's, it's benefited me tremendously. And the other one that I do, and this is recent since COVID really started, was uh, I do make a commitment uh, to, to exercise three days a week because if not, I will be very angry. I just, I find that it really allows me to escape. 
it's my way to 100% escape. I escape into the music that I'm listening to when I'm exercising and I do not think about anything else. I just think about my, my um, HIIT workout because I'm obsessed with the HIIT workouts. So uh, I love that. And if I can do it three times a week, great, but at least once or twice a week, but three mm-hmm. times is my goal. <laughs> so that's something that I don't ever neglect um, because it really allows me to stay strong. It allows me to have a better sleep and better sleep for me allows me to be more productive. And if I'm productive, then my business can succeed. So that's really, really important for me. I love those practices. And there's something that I've also noticed just in terms of like slowing down and putting those things in place into your schedule where you're able to just reflect or get into your body as you as you do with exercise. And so I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. Um, I'm also curious about as you start to, is this your first, this is your first time starting a business, right, Julia? That's right. Yeah. And so what were some of the important decisions or investments that you made um, into yourself from like a development perspective or things that really helped you build this? Because this is not easy. You're building something from scratch, something that's never been done before. So what are some um, investments that you made that really helped you with this? Um, at the very, very top of all of it, I have to say that one of the biggest investments you can make is really focusing on what it is that motivates you. Um, What is it that makes you want to do this? So understanding, you know, what is behind all of that really is critical from the beginning, because many people have said this to me before, people who are very seasoned entrepreneurs have had many businesses, you need to understand that it's going to be very difficult. There will be days where you will lose money, (laughs) you will lose people, you will be frustrated with the way people are treating you. So what is it exactly that really is motivating you to do this? And can you actually pull through that? So that's a lot of you starting at the root of it, because at the end of the day, even if you had a co-founder, I mean, I don't have a co-founder. It's I'm the one that's really kind of in control of my company. And I have an amazing team now, but I always led with what my, what motivated me really to start this, why I wanted to do this. The other large investment that you could make, and this does not have to do with money. You don't have to have millions of dollars in your bank account to do these investments. Okay. Is networking. Networking is really, really critical. Building and learning to network successfully is is the best investment that you can do even on a personal perspective, right? So you don't have to just do networking for your business. You have to network for your career. You have to network for your relationships. You need to, whether they're, you know, personal relationships, romantic relationships, whatever those relationships are, networking is really, is really critical to what you envision your life to be and who you want to surround yourself with. So I invested myself in, in, in really kind of what my passion was and what motivated me to start this company. But secondly, I really try to focus on how can I execute this? Mm-hmm. How long will it take me to do that? Money aside, yes, that is important. That is a really important aspect to, to growing anything. But knowing how to network and learning how to network and exposing yourself to opportunities to network 
I think is, is incredibly valuable, whether you're starting a company or you're starting a new school program, whether you're done high school and you're starting an educational program, it's very, very important. And one of the best investments I think that you can really make. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad when people take that word investment and turn it into other things that don't always have to do with money because that's just one form of currency, but you're totally right in the way that you uh, just kind of described where you're coming from and how fitting on the power of why we talk, like everyone talks about what is that thing that you're always going back to when days are tough. Right. And Um, the reason that you are getting up in the morning to do X, Y, or Z and having that at the forefront and really getting clear and defining that is really, really powerful. Thank you for sharing that, Julia. And um, the last question that I have for you is around in your industry right now, what is one thing that's happening and, you know, any kind of development that you have your eye on right now that's something really interesting that you think that we should know about? I guess I would say that it's it's very much the prevalence of, and I know this is a bit of a trendy word, but I'm going to use it, of femtech. Because femtech is an area where we see technologies that are starting to emerge specifically to benefit women's health. And that doesn't have to be women's health from what I'm focusing on, maternal, fetal, early childhood, but very much technologies that focus on women's health in general, women, uh, whether they're childbearing age, whether they're a bit younger than that, whether they're in, you know, pre-menopause, menopausal uh, years as well, because those are technologies that, again, support the health and well-being of women, but also allow them to, to feel good, to, 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 to feel good about themselves, but also to just help life in general. And I find that that is something that is emerging. We didn't see that 15, 20 years ago. We didn't see the, the, the surge of all of these incredibly innovative devices to help postpartum hemorrhaging, to help mm-hmm. uh, urinary incontinence, to help all of these areas that women have issues with and have had issues with 15, 20, 30, 50, 60, 70 years ago. So it's really great to see that there are so many companies out there, so many um, groups of individuals working to focus on helping women's health, whether it be through an actual device, medical device, or through a a digital technology like I'm building. Um, And that that is really positive um, because not only are you supporting developed countries that women are living in, but those technologies also translate to other areas of the world where um, women have uh, lacked a lot of support for many years. And so having these technologies helps education, helps so many outcomes um, that benefit not only internal economies, or I guess like the economy of Canada or North America, but the global economy as a whole. So um, I'm really happy to see that. And I'm happy to see the passion around that. I'm happy to see big giants jumping on, um, supporting those innovations and through various accelerator programs that have been emerging or grants that are, are available. So that's a very positive, positive development and one that is accelerating very rapidly over the next, I'd say, five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really happy to see that as well. Even devices as simple as, for example, when you are um, like producing milk that, you know, you could 
put these devices on and they don't leak and you can go and like do other things. So they actually enable you to live your life the way that you always have been. These are devices that are going to be created by women. And I think that, as you mentioned, the amount of funding that is coming through, I think it's a great start. There's obviously ways to go, but um, I'm really happy that we had a chance to talk today, Julia. Oh, it's a it was it was incredible and i'll leave yeah what are the what are the best places for people to connect with you online absolutely you can visit our website treehousemedical.ca you can follow us on instagram uh, facebook twitter linkedin we're, we're on all of those social channels and we would love to to connect with you feel free to to follow us and uh, send us a message if you're interested in chatting more Awesome. Thanks, Julia. And thank you to everyone who listened to this episode of The Power of Why. We'll catch you in the next one. Thank you for listening to The Power of Why podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please drop us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get this podcast out to more people. This episode is also powered by Invest Ottawa. Invest Ottawa supports business owners and entrepreneurs through services and programs and recently opened applications for SheBoot a six-week boot camp to ensure that your business is investment ready. If you're interested, you can visit investottawa.ca forward slash SheBoot to learn more.